This is Steve Traxel, and I used to pitch like I like my barbecue, low and slow. You're listening to Baseball and Barbecue with Jeff and Lynn. Studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York. This is episode number 207 of Baseball and BBQ, where the BBQ stands for Barbecue. I'm Jeff the Oku Cohen, along with Leonard Hollywood Averman. We welcome you back to our show, Leonard Barbecue. Welcome, <laughs> Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. What a show we have. What a show. Great show we have for you planned tonight. Jeff, you know who we have? No, tell me. We have three guests. We do. Three guests, two incredible interviews. The first is with Almost Cooperstown, the hosts of the incredible Almost Cooperstown podcast. And that is Gordon and Mark Collier. They are a father-son team. And then we have Blazing Star Barbecue, the founder, the maker of all their products. And that is Mike Starr. Give me give me what you gave me at the beginning of the show. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. We'll explain all of that and more as we tell you that football is back. And Bet Online is your number one information source. For all your sports wagering information with all the up to the minute starts, starts, stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl. Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember, use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, it is where the game starts. Leonard. You know, we're recording this. It's the middle of when it's Wednesday evening, the middle of the uh, the division series. Right now, we know that Phillies are kicking the Braves' butt. They're up two games to one. I can't believe how the Arizona Diamondbacks are uh, are beating the Dodgers. They're up two games. So as of right now, who knows when you hear this, what the final results would be. Let's just say Philly is built for the postseason. That adage, and Jeff, you've been saying it all along. I know you said it with the Mets, you know, when they were, I was like, well, what are we playing for? You're like, just get in and you never know. The Phillies, unfortunately, just unfortunately, get in. That's the way, that's the way the game is played now. Just get in. 
you know, yeah. anybody gets in. Look, the Diamondbacks are beating the Dodgers two games to zero. Who who would have thunk that? No, no. Even even if the Dodgers turn it around, yeah. Who who would have thunk that is absolutely right. But the Phillies, they're hot at the right time again. That's that. I guess that's what you need. And we'll see what happens. I mean, that series isn't over either. Jeff, why don't we move on to the American League? Yeah. Well, t- the Texas Rangers with the f- with former Mets Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, who contributed <laughs> nothing, not a, not a <laughs> are in the championship yeah. series. They're waiting. And obviously, when the people hear this, we'll know who they'll be playing, but it's either Houston or, or the Minnesota Twins. I'm hoping for the Minnesota Twins. I'm hoping for the World Series in Minnesota in November. That's a big yeah. screw you to Rob Manfred. <laughs> Jeff, let's talk about Texas and Baltimore for a second. Are you shocked at Texas? I mean, Baltimore sweep? That's it? I mean, Baltimore, great season, and that's it? Especially when the Rangers, they were on the road for, for the last two weeks. They haven't yeah. been in. They only played one game at home in the last two weeks. And it was obviously last night when they beat the Orioles. But you know what? You you said it. Get hot, get in, and get hot. It looks right now like Texas Rangers and Philadelphia. That's what it looks like right now. Does the regular season matter anymore? It really it's it's incredible. You can't you can't base anything off of a, a team in the in the regular season. Well, that's why they play the games, right? You can't go by what the odds are at the beginning of the year or the over-unders, whatever. It's getting into the playoffs. It's all that matters. Anything can happen in the playoffs. All right. Well, you know who we talk baseball to? And don't get me started about <laughs> about Zach Wheeler. Don't get me started. I, I, I was about to tell you that the Almost Cooperstown podcast when we had Gordon and Mark on, we talked baseball. Their podcast specializes in baseball. How about you listen to this interview? Okay. And I have a rant afterwards. We are joined on Baseball and BBQ by a father-son podcast team of the insightful podcast, Almost Cooperstown. Like us, they are devout Met fans, but their podcast is not a Mets-related podcast, just like yours truly. They talk about baseball in a unique way with terrific guests and opinion. They launched almost Cooperstown by noting that baseball contains a long history of players that, for whatever reasons, have been shunned by the electors of the Hall of Fame. Welcome, Gordon and Mark Collier, to Baseball and BBQ. Welcome, guys. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, certainly been a fun journey so far, and uh, there, there's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, the Hall of Very Good is filled with tons of guys that were almost Cooperstown. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, thank, thank- Thank you for having us, and uh, we're we're tickled because we don't get to be guests. We usually are the host, so this is really fun to be on the other side for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just us. say, there's pressure here because we are both Jeff and I are both fans of your podcast. That's why we asked you on, <laughs> and to have another podcast that we think is good, very good, to come on. You know, it's there's pressure. So, <laughs> you know, you, you guys might have to Step give us some. Uh, yeah, you might have to, you know, give us some constructive criticism. But got to uh, deliver in a way, you know, our Mets haven't this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Jeff. You want to cry with them? We, we want to uh, all cry together. I've been crying for years and years. So <laughs> let me no start off. Tears. Let me start off by asking you guys and Mark or Gordon, each one, either one of you can take this. 
tell us your origin story and how you started almost Cooper Sam. Oh, Gordon, I'm going to leave this to you. I, I, I think we have to go. I mean, if you, it, the inciting incident, if we're going to call it that more than anything, would be there was always this one discussion that we would always go back to. And, you know, this would be something that we would bandy about across like any number of games throughout this season that we're sitting there watching together. And it was sort of always just the theory of, well, like, since you have the advent of the relief pitchers, and now you have these guys coming in in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings that are just so hard to hit, wouldn't it stand to reason that all the guys back in the day, your Babe Ruths, your Ted Williams, had absolutely bonkers averages in the later innings of the game because they're facing the guy that pitches just about every game on the season. He, he might be like 150 pitches deep into his start, and they're not taking him out. Wouldn't that be like a big advantage? And so we were just always go back and forth about this topic to the point where I think one day we were just like, well, we have to put this out there. Some, we, somebody has to talk about this theory that we have. And yeah, it was kind of got pandemic, started from there. <laughs> pandemic related, right? We, we were kind of bored during the pandemic and we had, I had some conversation with some friends and saying to exactly what Gordon described. And they're like, well, you know, you should talk about that. Cause you talk about it really well. And well, that's an interesting idea. What could we do? So, uh, yeah, we got some equipment together. You guys have some fancy equipment and and started. Uh, the, if you listen to the first few episodes, you listen to the audio and you guys have done. I think this is maybe 198 for you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're, we're getting up there. Yeah, yeah we're, so, we're close. So, we're we're almost at 200. Yeah. So we're almost at 150 and, and, and putting together something, um, you know, every week or in our case and, and, and making it, you know, hopefully good enough and, and, and interesting enough that became a, a labor in and of itself. I'm sure you would understand that very well. Absolutely. Okay. So you guys are very close. You said you started during the pandemic and I was like, mm-hmm. well, I thought you had more episodes, but in podcasting 150, that is, you know, that's, that's tough to get to. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I think it was also just part of, you know, uh, my mom and, you know, she was subjected to enough of these conversations that we ended up enlisting <laughs> her and making into the her into the producer. So, yeah, we roped her into that. So we always have to thank her for all the hard work she puts in and helping us out because we couldn't do that stuff and record the podcast. So it's, it's turned into a complete family labor of love. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Learned yeah. a lot about uh, podcasting, I'll just say, because yeah. Gordon was very insistent on saying, you need to drop your podcast at the same time, in the same day. And so I, I, I didn't inherently know that, and I probably should have. And 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 we realized that when we didn't post an episode, if we skipped a week, like in the offseason, sometimes we go to every other week, our engagement dropped a lot. People people wanted more content. You guys know that uh, obviously very well. So we've been really consistent about making sure we put it out every week because uh, our listeners need us, we like to think. <laughs> well, <laughs> At least we like to tell ourselves that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know what you're saying because we're in our sixth year. If we were doing an episode every week, you know, we'd be over 300 episodes and we're getting to 200 because when we started, you know, it was like, all right, should we do an episode? Yes. And then three weeks later, I think we should probably do another episode. And then we were releasing every two weeks. And but we had so much content that we were so backlogged people would would say when when is my episode coming out <laughs> so we went to every week but it's not about us it's about you guys we'll, we'll go to you i want to just focus on one episode that that you recently released that i found very interesting and that's the mascot episode <laughs> yeah so i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you mark how did you guys come up with that episode and 
And and you mentioned the San Diego chicken. So I want I want you to talk a little bit about that because I'm sure you remember the San Diego chicken as well. Of course. Of course. Well, I, I, I think, you know, I, I've always felt even since I was a kid and I, I started going to Shea Stadium, you know, I was at the 69 World Series and all that. So Mr. Met was 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 the really the new mascot sort of, you know, in, in Major League Baseball in 1960 three as you guys pointed out or 64 when he actually started showing up at Shea and I thought why why does this guy have a perpetual smile this team loses like a hundred games a year what is he happy about and I, isn't that it's kind of weird that you know they have this big baseball head and I'm like 10 and I'm thinking this and I still think that you're the you know, target like, audience at that point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that's just that's a little odd you know and and so uh I I, I I thought about that in context of Metfans, and I thought, well, you know, nobody really talks about mascots. So, you know, there's some really good ones, as you mentioned, the San Diego uh, Chicken Line and, and and obviously the Philly Fanatic. But when I get past those couple of mascots, it kind of it weakens a little bit. You don't really have this, this the, the, the legacy. Well, uh, certainly I think one of the things that we notice is that you have teams like the Phillies, you have teams like the Mets, where the mascot is really woven into the fabric of the team. Like, like it would, I think Met fans probably don't think of baseball mascots as weird because Mr. Met is such an omnipresent fixture throughout the franchise, both at the games and in like the promotional marketing material. But then you have like, I know when we were going through the list, I was like, this team has a mascot? I didn't even know that some of these guys existed. And I'm like, oh, okay, apparently that's the Atlanta Braves mascot. I had no idea. So I I think for some teams, it's sort of just like, oh, we have a mascot because that's what baseball teams sort of do. And then there are other teams where it's like, oh, no, this mascot's like part of the team. And I think if you're a fan of those franchises and you don't watch a lot of other teams, like I know I don't watch a ton of games that are like outside the Mets, you know, I'll catch them here and there, but I'm not, I I might not necessarily throw a random game on the middle of the night. And if you don't do that, you're not going to notice, oh, hey, yeah, when I watch like the, you know, X, the, the Guardians play the Twins, there's no mascots running around right. at any point during the game. <laughs> well, the other night when we were at uh, City Field and uh, we we had the media credentials, we're walking through the hallway and it was out comes Mrs. Met and, you know, with her handlers. And I said, Mrs. Met and gave her a fist bump. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Len, uh, Len was in his glory. Uh, oh, I, I, I was. <laughs> Mrs. Met, she's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, let, let, let's talk, let's talk about mascots a little because, you know, I, I did listen to you, that episode, and you know, I was thinking about it. I go, wow, you know, there's three. You said there were three organizations that do not have mascots: the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Yankees. Right. I don't even think of a Red Sox. I don't even know what a Red Red Sox mascot is. Uh, who's the Red Sox mascot? Off the top of my head, I don't know. Uh, you know what? That's how unmemorable that mascot is, right? Uh, to me, and and I'm sure Gordon can find it. But that's what happens when you got 27 out of 30 teams, as Gordon said in the podcast. Like I can know Dinger is the strange mascot, the dinosaur mascot in Colorado. I have no idea why. Right, right. Exactly what the yeah, Bax- relevance is there. Yeah, Baxter uh, in Arizona. I know that one. Yeah, the Baxter, the Bobcat, who is yeah. the Arizona Diamondbacks mascot. <laughs> well, what are you gonna have? What are you gonna have? A snake? Yes. Well, I mean, like, at least that's why I understand the Angels don't have a mascot because I have no idea how you do one for that franchise without it just stepping on all sorts of toes. Oh, it would be heavenly. Ooh. The Yankees are too are too 
they're too classy to have a mask. We don't have mascots. We don't exactly. <laughs> I know there's Billy the Marlin out, out down in Miami. I mean, I, I, is there one in Texas? I, well, Houston, I know is Orbit. Because I see that on, on TV once in a while. That's a little and, weird. And one. you heard us on the podcast. So Orbit killed the prior mascot. Right. Actually, in during a game, he actually murdered General. The general, general admission, right? General admission, right? <laughs> There's something wrong about That's that. That's going out there, there. <laughs> now, Jeff and I, this podcast has become guest. You know, we rely on guests, and thankfully, we have people that they agree to come on before they listen. So we get lucky. <laughs> but you guys, you, I mean, you did, ha- you, you've had guests. I mean, I heard you have the guest with, um, oh, I just heard the one, the new game. Sean you know, Foreman. Sean Foreman. Sean, Sean yeah, Foreman, yeah, exactly. But you do a lot of episodes, just the two of you. How do you come up with all the topics and, and what's the research involved? Well, I, I think a lot, like, there's some number of episodes that are just sort of born out of topics and discussions that we have i know we actually have an episode coming up that i think we're going to be recording this weekend talking about commissioners in baseball because one of the things that we i you know i always go back is i am not a i mean saying you're not a manfred fan really isn't any kind of a hot take i don't think anybody out there is standing for uh rob manfred but uh Ultimately, there's a lot of, you know, I I find that, you know, I have certain opinions about him and we go back and forth where, you know, my father was like, like, what's he supposed to do? He is literally hired by the owners. There's only so much this man could do. You want impartiality? This is not your guy. (laughs) Right. And so so we're like, okay, well, if we're enjoying having this discussion, somebody else out there is probably going to want to talk about it. And then others are sort of born out of just wanting to do a comparison i know we did a really interesting one where we were looking at the different catchers throughout the ages and trying to figure out like you know you look at you have yogi Berra, you have johnny bench and then you moved into having rodriguez and then we were saying you know you look at some guys after that you have guys like posey and and you have these other players that might fit into that same mold and it was just sort of interesting or molina we were comparing them to molina did not come out great in that comparison And we we take a keep a list. We keep a running list in our Google sheet of topics, and you know I'll I'll come up with you know ideas, and I'll run it by Gordon, and he'll come up with ideas and run it by me. And today I noticed as I'm involved in the in the healthcare industry a little bit, and so I I noticed that a spine surgeon who does a lot of operations on on athletes uh, out of L.A. operated on a major league player. So like, well, who is the player? So I go and look, and the player's name is Drew Rusinski. Okay, well I'm thinking I've never heard of this guy. So I go and I look at his baseball reference page, and sure enough, he pitches for the A's. He's 34 years old. I'm thinking, wow. I said, but then I look at his career. And so I'm coming up, Gordon, with, with an episode on this guy. So he pitched in 2014 and 15 in the major leagues, but was in college in 2011. So it took him three years to get there. But he didn't mm-hmm. pitch in 2016. He pitched in 17 and 18, four innings one year, 35 innings the next, and didn't pitch for five years until this year. He's still toiling in the minor leagues, right, trying to make it back. And I'm thinking, I want to talk about guys. There's a lot of guys like this, right, that just, you know, the, the, the love of the game and the desire to get back to the show, they'll do anything and they'll toil in a way that you almost can't believe. And to do what he did and then have spinal fusion surgery, so he's done now. So I'm, I want to get this guy in the podcast, maybe not right now, after he had an operation he's probably not too happy about the fact that his career is over basically um but that's that that's how an idea can kind of percolate and grow into oh let's kind of talk about this because it's interest us so maybe it'll introduce the people that listen uh, interest the people that listen to us absolutely yeah another recent episode that you that you had on recently was and you're talking about almost cooperstown is the 
will be candidates for the Hall of Fame. And that was really yeah. a fascinating podcast. And I appreciate you guys doing that. I mean, we know Roulet is just the, the Hall of Fame ballot, the uh, Baseball Writers Association of America, who, uh, in my opinion, they should expand that because you should have broadcasters who follow the game nationally in, in there as well. But that's a whole, well, maybe another podcast. That's but, Rule episode, B, right. <laughs> but Rule B, could, could you explain Rule B and, and uh, let us all know what that is? So rule B is, it's an interesting thing because you have certain guys that contribute to the game of baseball throughout their entire course of their lifetime, but they don't do it all in the same role. You have guys that are players. A great, great example of this is Dusty Baker, who, if you took just his career as a player, I think even Dusty would say himself, he's probably not a Hall of Famer if you just look at the body of his playing career. And if you look at the body of his work as a manager, he probably isn't a Hall of Famer unless he manages to get another World Series win this year. I think if he does get another one this year, he's probably going to. He probably it didn't work for Cito Gaston, by the way. He won two in a row. He's not in. <laughs> no, no, he, Dusty's managed a long time, though. Right. But I, I think there's these guys that they contribute out through their career lifetime, and the sum total of their contributions can then be voted on by this separate committee that's part of the hall of fame that would then elect them to the hall of fame in this sort of other manner, other manner. And this can go for, you know, if you had an umpire who also contributed in some way, a writer that also contributed in some way. So it's sort of, you know, somebody whose contributions can't be measured in just statistics, essentially. Right. You mentioned Dusty Baker, I guess Joe Torre is along those lines as well. I mean, he was a (laughs) very good player. He was a, a brilliant manager for the Yankees, but for every other team he managed, he wasn't that good. So, but he got it <laughs> as a manager because he happened to be a manager of the Yankees. And we know that the players make the manager, not, not the other way around. I mean, you know, the famous line by uh, Warren Spahn says he was a played for Casey Stengel before and after he was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> And like, just to be with the rule be out there for people, you could never use it in, you know, a guy like Bobby Gritch could never get put into the hall via rule B for his career contributions because he's just a player. That's not how it works. Just in case, because I think that can be kind of confusing to people is like, oh, well, couldn't, couldn't somebody who should be in the hall of fame get nominated that way? No, it's, you, it has to be that like across two different parts of your career it can't just be for, you know, as a manager or just as a player. Does does rule B include the eras committee? It's separate from the eras committee, I believe. It's separate from the eras committee. Okay, let's talk about the eras committee for one second or five minutes, or whatever whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, this this past season, this past cycle, I should say, Don Mattingly was on the eras committee ballot to get in the Hall of Fame. He did not make it. I think he's a very good player. I think he might be a Hall of Famer. You know, that, that's debatable. That's not the question. Is a lot of people were upset that. Keith Hernandez was not on the ballot. A lot of people don't understand that that ballot was for anybody who played, started their career in 1980 and forward. And obviously Keith Hernandez, man, you know, started in the seventies. So there's that difference that people don't understand. And there's a whole lot on, on social media go, Oh, why wasn't Keith on there? And blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, these eras committee has special rules. Do you, you want to explain some of them? Yeah. They, you know, you know Basically, they're, they're committees, these these things. So you think about the small amount of people that get to make what are big decisions, right? You had 16 people that had to vote on Fred McGriff, and he got all 16 votes there. And, and if you go back in time, you know, a lot of those times, those committees in, in the past might have been stacked with particular people that might be interested in getting their former teammates 
you know, elected to the Hall of Fame. So they would lobby. Uh, you know, I can go back to Frankie Frisch, and he was a guy who lobbied for guys mm -hmm. to get into the Hall of Fame. I, I don't know that it's that powerful now that on, on that angle, but I think that what it does is it skews it because you've got people that are, you know, there's some players, uh, mostly players, but there could be other people on one of these 16-man committees. And and it's, it's I don't want to say it's arbitrary, but you you know that certain people, if they're not going to, Maddox is never going to vote for a steroid user. That's that's what he's been reputed to have been said and all that. So if you're going to have a guy who's not even going to consider somebody, I'm not sure that's a good idea to have somebody there who's already made up his mind before they even look at the, you know, evaluate the, the candidates. I am sure if you go back through the era committees of, you know, the, through the annals of baseball, there is definitely at least one guy that's been on an era committee that had a grudge against a fellow player and then just wouldn't vote yeah. for him because he's like, I hated that guy's guts. I'm not putting him in the oh, Hall of Fame. We know one. <laughs> We know one with Ted Williams had a grudge against uh, Gil Hodges. Yeah, yes. and, and then he could have – so his voice is more powerful than it should be in that kind of an environment, right, because he can affect what's going on. And 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 just to add, Gordon and I are – so he said this a number of times, Gordon. So we're big hall guys. So in, you can see there's a, there's actually some some Twitter feeds, small hall podcast. You know, we're in for a small hall, and, and we're not, you know, and we think the difference, by the way, between what we'd consider a big hall and a small hall is so small, it's silly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we, we, we looked at it like if you add like 20 guys, which if you added 20 guys, it, it takes your edge cases down from guys like Dick Allen and up until last year, uh, Dale Murphy, guys that like – who are like, okay, if you're making these RJ cases, they should probably into being guys that are like actually like, yeah, should this guy be in the Hall of Fame? Like the tw add it, and it's like it takes it from being like 1.05% to like 1.2%. Like, <laughs> oh wow, we've added a tenth of a more percent to the Hall of Fame, everybody. It's going wild. Right. <laughs> well, well, let me stop you there because I wanted to ask you two things, and I want you to take the steroid users out of your answer. I want to get to that in a second because you did mention steroids. I don't know what your opinion is. You may have expressed that in one of your episodes, but let's talk about these edge cases or these almost Cooperstown cases. Who is the one player that you are convinced is not in the Hall of Fame, is no longer on the ballot, you know, will be considered maybe another time, whatever, but who should be in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, you think I'm going to say Keith Hernandez. I, That's what I would say. <laughs> well, I I and, actually did not. But it's, it's, it's my Met bias that would sort of, you know, uh, make me not say Keith Hernandez because it's too mm -hmm. obvious. And by the right. way, if I were to order that, I, I love Mattingly as a player. Um, he'd have to go in behind Keith Hernandez. If you're going to put in, you know, Mattingly, Hernandez has to go in just before him, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, but he, I think to Gordon's point, I think those are the guys I think I'm willing to uh, argue about. I think there are guys that have even stronger cases. I don't know if I would personally going on about you i wouldn't necessarily pick one but we've talked about guys you know and the, the guys that we all know about right he, gordon mentioned bobby gritch you know we mentioned lou whitaker um, mm -hmm. guys whose whose contributions at the time were not appreciated because advanced statistics didn't allow for us to really evaluate their team contributions in a way that we can go back now and had the writers seen it that way i believe they would have looked at it differently they just didn't understand because it didn't look that way to them you know on a day-to-day -day basis necessarily <laughs> 
I think when we, we, we've actually discussed this a couple, we, we discussed this at least once in the past. I know Keith was on both of our lists. Dick Allen and Lou Whitaker were both on, were on both of our lists. I, I think, and we're, and we, you know, just to get, just talk about the steroid guys. I think with all the steroid guys that put an asterisk next to their name, do something, you know, we, we, we've talked about docky, you know, if you want to dock, dock all of them, 25% of their career statistics to show, oh yeah, they were up to something, but are, are you really going to tell me that Barry Bonds is in the Hall of Famer? Like, in the same mm-hmm. way Pete, Pete Rose. Like, I understand that he bet on baseball, but Pete Rose, the player, is a Hall of Fame player. There, you can't it, – denying it, – it feels weirder not having him in there because it's like you're trying to pretend that him and his actions were not part of baseball, and they most certainly were. And rather – and you're, you're never going to move past the steroid thing as if you just never acknowledge it. It happened, and for the most part, it's gone now because guys don't do it anymore unless you want to end up like Robinson Cano and get popped for 180 games and potentially cost yourself your Hall of Fame shot by missing the last few seasons of your career. I think you'll still get in probably because ultimately – I don't. You think you? I mean, his number, there are few second basemen that have better numbers than him. But that, that I think he put he put himself into that you know category one back because he could have had all time stats. That when you're like, oh, I can't. The guy's got 400 home runs. He doesn't. You know, he 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 batted 300 for his career. He's got eight gold gloves. He's got all this this things that check up. But you know what? He just didn't quite get the massive numbers that allowed him to say he's a slam dunk. He's not. He's he, he had a shot at 3,000 hits and being yeah, suspended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being suspended really cost him. So I think that we just saw someone get in the Hall of Fame who was definitely uh, overlooked for the longest time, would definitely be, was one of my almost Coopers down. That was Fred McGriff. The fact that he wasn't in and that there had to be a special era committee and all that jazz or, what you know, special committee was was ridiculous. He should have been in. Let's let's talk about the steroid guys. You were just talking about that. And I'm back and forth on the steroid thing. Okay. I think it depends. I could be convinced either way. It depends on who the guests are. But the one thing I'm going to not argue with because I want to be polite, but an asterisk, no. I don't. And 25% docking of stats, no. I think what you do is you put on the plaque, you put something about it because it's part of the person's baseball history. You don't put, you know, use steroids if you don't know that for a fact, but it's it, what you're putting on that plaque is part of their history, although it's part of the, you put their playing history. So maybe maybe you don't put that. But I don't think you could put an asterisk. I'm going to let you go in a second. Oh, I'm yeah. going to let you go in a second, Gordon. But and I and you definitely cannot dock statistics. They either go in with their full stats or they don't go in. Oh, I. I, I completely agree with you. When I said the docs, the statistics, I more meant like in terms of evaluating them. Like if you wanted okay. to pretend their statistics were lower for the sake of evaluation, they should go in with their full stats. An asterisk, you want to put them in their own wing in the hall where, you know, these were all the guys that were connected to steroids. And so everybody <laughs> the knows. steroid I, wing. I called it the corridor <laughs> of infamy. And you know what the great thing is? You could put some other stuff in there that isn't necessarily just the steroids, guys. That way, you know, it, you're not kind of only calling them out because there's plenty of other infamous things in baseball, too. We have Bill Vex, you know, Bill Vec in there with all the shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have a special gift shop. You know, you, you go in there. You could get I mean, there could be there could be a lot of different. But you're completely right. You need to have somewhere where it's clearly acknowledged. 
what that that they were what part happened? of that that that's as much as part of their baseball history as their playing career was but they should still be there <laughs> well there what, is what a Oh, go, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. I was going to say, one of the things I, I just was researching today, I was thinking, so did balls really fly further in 1998, 99, and 2000? I mean, let's talk about what's really at stake here, right? So these players unreasonably hit home runs because they were pumped up on performance-enhancing drugs, which allowed them to hit the ball further. They hit home runs that aren't valid, and so that's what's wrong with this. One of the main things that's wrong with it. The records now are a, are, are, are a travesty because of that. And it's, it's pretty hard to find because they didn't track things back in 1999 and 2000 the way they do where every home run shot is 431 feet or, or whatever it would be. And a lot of the stuff I'm starting to read about this has to do with the baseball was wound so tight in 1998-99 that all the players weren't complaining about steroids. They were complaining about the baseball at that time. We've heard about this a million mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so well, I, I, I'm not being conclusive, but I'm just I'm, I'm looking for evidence that says, OK, it, it really did benefit them. They got home runs they shouldn't have gotten. Uh, to be fair, though, I think if we if we looked at baseball players, they complained about the ball every. I don't think there's a single season where they've ever been happy with the state of the ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I go back and forth like Glenn. Uh, I, I acknowledge that there's been steroid era and I know there's in a wing in, in the Hall of Fame in the museum part. They they talk about the steroid era. They have different uh, displays and all that. I, I just have a problem, and you know, this is what makes baseball great. We can discuss this. You know, they were great. Barry Bonds was great. Roger Clemens was great. They they were great. Why did they need to take the steroids? And that's where I have a problem of putting them in or not. They didn't need it to get in the whole thing. They were going to get in no matter what. They were going to walk in. And, oh, and, yeah. and and then and then why did they need to do it? So, you know, I have that in my head going back and forth but that you know but that's what makes this this uh, discussion so great i mean there's a lot of people that argue that barry bonds was a hall of famer just if you take his pittsburgh career when it was clear he wasn't using steroids right. so i mean that's what i think yeah you're right that's what makes it interesting because you 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 can kind of go back and forth on this all day because and and you know especially with our understanding of stats i think that's one of the most interesting things that sort of developed with baseball is our ability to kind of look back at these players and and be able to look at a guy's statistics from 40 50 years ago and really mm-hmm. be able to dig in and go oh wow we didn't even realize how good some of these guys were like nobody talked about this guy and oh man, if he was only playing today, he would have been appreciated so much more. I mean, one of the guys we always shout out about that from just the '90s was John Olerud. If if you put John Olerud at first base for teams today, people fans would love him because he hits sure. every like you know sexy baseball stat right now. <laughs> yeah, you know there are some magical numbers in baseball, and seven fourteen obviously we know it's how many Babe Ruth hit. But back then, and we we weren't obviously weren't alive to know this, but there were times when. There was no foul pole, so the umpire had to make a judgment whether it was fair or foul. How many home wall home runs would have been if it was, you know, called fair? Also, if it bounced over the fence back in those days, it counted as a home run. Different rules changed the different, uh, you know, statistics. So it's very interesting, you know, when you go back in time and and read about this. Yeah, and you, you ground you, ground rule doubles are are a little bit more common than you think. You, you suddenly chop off ten to fifteen home runs from everybody's statistics from way back when. It's not looking as good. And then, of course, you read. You know, we always joke about how if you go to baseball before nineteen hundred, that's when you get to like funny baseball because that's <laughs> when you hear about guys that are like, oh yes, they were playing at a field that had no left field wall, so he just kind of hit one out there and it rolled. 
<laughs> it's just like, is yeah. that a home run? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a great discussion line. You have something? Yeah. I'm all of a sudden. I can't remember Jeff. Who is our, fa- I, I love this player. And you, cause you're talking about pre 1900 and oh. I can never remember his name. John Montgomery Ward. Jeff. Oh. Yeah. Charles Montgomery Ward, right? John, we love John Montgomery Ward, yes. John Montgomery John, Ward, yeah. of course. See, we love him, and I can't remember his name. But <laughs> that's why I have Jeff. John Montgomery Ward, prior to 1900, phenomenal player. I mean, it seems like a phenomenal person. If it was up to John Montgomery Ward, there wouldn't have been African-Americans left out of baseball, and there wouldn't have been a need for a Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier. And I mean, history would have been so different. And this guy, he just did so much. I think he was a great golfer, too. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you know, but so he is our like he's in the Hall of Fame. He's a player that unfortunately, you know, people don't know about because he played so long ago and stuff. Do you guys have a player that is somebody obscure that you love? Doesn't have to be in the Hall of Fame, but just someone that. You know, played a long time ago, though. Either one of you. Do you have someone like that? Well, Gordon, you, you came up with when we did one of our earlier episodes where, where you know, guys you you hadn't heard of that, that belong, you know, in Hall of Fame consideration. And he came up with Vern Stevens. Okay. Okay. Tell you, us I about wasn't it. very, I was not very familiar with Vern Stevens. Gordon, the, Red Sox, this? the Red Sox shortstop from the 40s, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so. So Vern Stevens played for 15 years uh, in the major leagues, and he is not in the Hall of Fame, but he was an eight-time All-Star. He batted 286. He had 1,100 RBIs. Uh, just a, a, a fine player because I think to, part of me was he played for the St. Louis Browns for the first six, seven years of his career, and actually he played for a Browns team that actually went to the World Series during World War II, and, and nobody paid any attention to that team at the time. And so being the best player on what traditionally was a moribund team except for that year they went to the world series didn't help his notoriety and he didn't even get a sniff when it came to the hall of fame but you know you look at it he was a shortstop for the majority of his career he put up 46 career war and he hit almost 250 home runs in his career at a time when nobody was doing that he had some unbelievable like his 1949 season is wild when you look at it when he was putting it up for a shortstop because he hit almost 300 at 290 with 39 homers and 159 rbis and he finished like fourth in the mvp voting and i was looking through it and we were looking at it and there's like he was like the big outlier in terms of like anybody else that played shortstop that had similar career statistics to him was in the Hall of Fame. And I was kind of looking at it, wonder how much of it was just when this guy played, people looked at it like he wasn't playing the cream of the crop in baseball for a very obvious reason. And so I think I wonder how much that hurt him, you know, mm-hmm. getting evaluated. And he right. didn't play for the Yankees, where a guy named Phil Rizzuto was was applying his trade. Who you know, no, nothing against Scooter, who has an MVP to his credit somehow. Um, and and you know, when you look at their career statistics, I think Vern Stevens stacks up quite well to uh, to Mr. Yeah. Rizzuto. Yeah. Now the thing about John Montgomery Ward, if I could go back to that for a second, is he was ba- he was the Shoei Otani of his time. Although I don't know, there might there were other players. You know, back then they played both. You know, they pitched and played the field, but he was a great pitcher and a great hitter. You know, everyone brings up Babe Ruth, and I'm not saying John Montgomery Ward was Babe Ruth, but 
he was a, a pitcher and a and a position player. So, you know, when 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 Jeff and I saw the plaque in Cooperstown, we're like, wait, who is this guy? Right. You know the department store, but that's not that guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was looking at Mike Hampton today. Somebody was mentioning to me something about, you know, what about Mike Hampton? So talk about a pitcher that was a very good hitter. And at, we're at 20 years later. You think Mike Hampton might have got a shot to do what Shohei Otani is doing? Because Mike Hampton was like one of the best hitting pitchers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> very good. It, it, and I think it's interesting because, you know, if, if you had a guy like Mike Hampton, at least on the New York Mets this year, you could make every argument that, yeah, he would be better than our DH. Not a DH over Vogelback, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but he liked the schools in Colorado. You know, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, we remember that. Well. Hampton would be a, a lot more fondly remembered if he was as nearly quality as a pitcher as he was a quality of a good hitting pitcher. <laughs> that man got the most money out of his talent than anybody had a right to get. He cashed in at the right time and got uh, the contract. So, you know what? More power to him. Uh, I'm glad that wasn't us that gave him that contract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of contracts, uh, what, what a segue this is. Mark, you also write for the IBWAA, International I- Internet Baseball Writers Association of America, and you came out with an article, The Myth of Highly Paid Coasters. So do you want to talk about that article? Because I read it and I was like, yeah, I, you know, you talk about Jason Bay, Jason Bay, <laughs> Jason Bay. And, you know, exactly. He was not a good Met, but he, he didn't coast. I mean, he was trying. So talk about your article that you wrote. Yeah, I just, I, I, it really annoys me when people talk about, you know, the idea that, oh, he got paid and he's not trying anymore. Right. Gordon does that sometimes. Like, I, 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 Sterling Gordon Marte this season himself. a little bit. <laughs> you think Sterling Marte isn't trying? He looks I, I, like it sometimes. I, I, yes. I, I, I grant you that. And I actually put that in my article going, it may look that way to you. And I, another guy I didn't mention in the article is Jason Hayward. It's a perfect example, right? So he, he he comes up with the praise and he's supposed to be the next, you know, five-tool player and whatnot, and eventually leaves and signs a giant deal with the Cubs at 16 million a year and bombs horribly. In fact, his career after that was, you know, he's still playing. He's out there plying his trade. I don't think for a second that Jason Hayward wasn't trying his darn hardest every single time. And in the article I wrote about Cody Bellinger the same way, and he's one of those guys who actually he kind of found it. He's been trying the whole time. You know, I make the comments. I, I told Gordon as we're playing golf one day together. And if I ever get a hole in one, I'm going to turn to the people I'm playing with. They're going to go, well, yeah, I was trying to do that the whole time. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, of course, they're trying to, 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 you know, to win baseball games. They're trying to do their best. And sometimes it's a hard game. It doesn't work out. And sometimes you can never find it. And the perception. And, 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 I, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gordon. But the perception is out there. They're having their they're having the best year in their walk year and their final year free agent, before free agency. A la, you know, uh, uh, Aaron Judge. I mean, he was going to get his money no matter what, but he had a fantastic year the year he's going into free agency. I think I think that's like one of those things that's a bit of just you know false memory kind of thing. Like the reason why we remember so many good players having great seasons in Walkier is because well, good players generally play well, so they're going to play well across a lot of seasons. We forget all the guys that were you know it was their big Walkier, then they stunk, so nobody gave them a deal, and now they don't really play that much anymore. Now, a player can be motivated in his Walkier maybe more than he is in another. That's just human nature again, right? Like like he's oh my god, I need a contract. I got to I got to do everything I can. It doesn't mean it's going to work, but you know he's going to give. If there's supreme effort, he's going to give that. And so I I think that 
you you know you just have to understand that it's hard to be a pro athlete and and when it looks like a guy may not care and all that kind of it's probably something else you know if you think about two Mets this year right um oh this year one Met Tommy Pham okay and he if you look at Tommy Pham's career as a Met you think well you know Tommy Pham was a pretty good Met you know he did a he did a pretty good job a, because only he played there for like six months and the time he was there he did a good so you have this positive idea Moises Alou is another guy man he, he played for the Mets and then he got a Moises had a great career with the Mets he batted like 340 for them but he played, we, but he played like one and a half seasons yeah, right, exactly. barely remember so, it. but I'm, I fondly remember guys because like, what I saw him playing for my team was really good and I overvalue that you know sometimes and and I will just say one last thing is that so I mean I do understand you know guys are trying and looks at but are you really saying uh, Bryce Harper was trying in that at bat a couple weeks ago where he just stood there watching about seven pitches in a row <laughs> because he right. looked like he wasn't trying there. <laughs> that is, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I can't contend that. <laughs> that was that was one of the wildest. Sequences. At least he didn't I... go all John Cruck on you and put his helmet on the end of the bat. Right. Honestly, <laughs> at, at least that would have like at least then you know he's doing a bit. That was like it. That is just one of the strangest things I've ever seen. It was like he was just like, I want this game to be over. I'm just going to speed it along now. I've never seen a player just like mentally check out of their own at bat before. Before I ask you uh, the next hard hitting question, I tell you, Mark, a lot of people, people will look at someone and they'll say, you look like so and so. But your voice, do you ever get told that you said there's somebody you sound like? And I'm trying to to place it. <laughs> Do you ever get told that you sound like someone else? Ever sound, sound no. Um, over over my life, I've been told I look like people. I I had to sign. You're not going to believe this, you guys. Like so so thirty forty years ago, I signed an autograph as Howie Mandel. Some woman cornered me downstairs. <laughs> Howie Mandel had hair at the time, um, uh, and and she said, "You're Howie Mandel." I said, "No, I'm I'm not Howie Mandel." So, no, I know you're Howie Mandel. I need to sign a graph. So I thought I could sign the autograph. And get out of here, or I could. I signed the autograph, and off she went, thinking that she meant she met Howie Mandel, and I got to go away and go. Away. So, but never anybody that that, that I've heard sound. Wait, you gave wait, her a I story just, for for forever now. Wait, I just bought that autograph. <laughs> I I bought a Howie Mandel autograph, and I went to get it authenticated. I paid a lot of money for that, well, and they said. This might be Mark Coley. It's on me. It's on me. Uh, President, no. I'm <laughs> sending you the bill. <laughs> How about the perfect interview? Who would you guys, and I'm not talking about Babe Ruth or someone like that, but who, somebody, you know, living that you would like to to have on your show, other than Jeff and myself, because that's, you know. <laughs> well, we'll work that out. Who who would you know? What, what um person involved with baseball uh, would you like to have on? I think I know which one you're going to say. I'm really interested because I, I had something pop right into my head, actually. Yeah, immediately the one that pops into my head is we've talked about it a couple of times. That was probably the, the guests that we would like to have most would be Al and Jack Leiter. Because we would just because we do a father and son podcast. And so and we Mark Leiter uh, Jr. Right. And, and just to talk to them about like, do you guys ever just like sit there and watch like a baseball game together and talk about it? Like, you know, the season's done, you know, maybe Jack's not in the playoffs. Al's not calling the game. Do you guys just like sit like, cause it would just be so interesting to have like, you know, it's two major leaguers sitting down together watching the game, but it's also a dad and his son sitting down to watch a game because those are two very different experiences. And to have them both at the same time would just be so interesting to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. I too- also but I also thought that um, I've said this to you before, Gordon. I want Eckersley and Smoltz. 
I want them both because they are a unique right to baseball in that they both excelled at starting and relieving in a way that I don't know if I can come up with two pitchers in the history of baseball that had that level of success uh, to do those two different things. And they're both very still with us. They're both, by the way, they both commentate. I mean, both Smoltz and then Eck does. Mm-hmm. I think he did Red Sox for years. I don't know if he is anymore. I think he stopped doing it, that. And Smoltz is good most of the time as a they're commentator. Both, they're both really good. I, yeah. And, and it would be a great discussion just to, to talk about what different mentalities they had to use to do those two things. And if you remember, Smoltz went there and back. Right. Right. Eckersley just went from being a starter to being a relief pitcher. So uh, having that conversation about that, particularly in this day and age where I made the comment um, recently that the way that baseball is going, it's not impossible for me to believe that you could have three three inning pitchers pitch games anymore. All your pitchers will pitch three innings. You don't need to go that way. Right. And so everybody pitches three innings and you have nine guys that can throw three innings at any time and then four closers for your you know, your 13 pitchers and, and you don't have starters. So baseball would like to do that because it would take salaries down, right? You don't have a starting pitch. You don't have mm-hmm. a G- just, I don't think it'll go that way. And I think they'll fight it hard, but it would be interesting. I think, I think I, you I, might have some teams that keep them in there for six, but <laughs> you, you know what? I think though, there is something about a uh, starting pitcher. Cause you know, Jeff was at uh, Jeff and I were at the game, the attendance, it was a Monday night, 27,000 plus for Cody Senga. And I think that people came specifically to see Cody Senga. I think the starter, if it's a starter that you that is re- you really want to see, I think that that attracts the crowd. Along the lines of Dave Rigetti, I, I just said what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you said, Eckersley and Good Smoltz. Point. Dave Rigetti would be another one. As far, there too, absolutely. He he could could have been could, if I mean he was a great reliever, but. Maybe if he stayed, uh, you know, he had pitched a no-hitter. Right, right. Maybe, those, maybe. those other two guys are in the Hall of Fame, and Rigetti is not, and and right. that's right. You know, he is he's just shy, you know, uh, of being a Hall of Famer. But, yes, I I, you know, I think that's an excellent point, um, you know, that, you know, you, you could add other people to, to that. And, and being a pitcher, you know, a, a starting pitcher, I really like that you said that because I mm-hmm. think that is there is a sexiness to it, and I and I think that, that we are interested. And the pitcher it used to be the starting pitcher. You pitch him because he was the best pitcher, right? So you did, yeah. your, your middle relievers and other guys weren't that good, so you didn't want to pitch those guys. Right. I mean, I think you made a really good point there, Leonard, too, because it's not only for the fans showing up at the ballpark. There's that the, – the, I mean, Met fans can look back at recently as, you know, the days Jacob deGrom started felt special. The days Matt Harvey and when Doc Gooden started, they felt special. And I think that doesn't extend to just the fans, but the team as well. The feeling that you have as a team – when your your ace is getting up there to go and pitch, it's going to inspire you in a different way than if you know, oh, X number three inning guy is going to be starting this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you remember Happy Harvey Day, right? Everyone would oh, wish yeah. everyone a, a a happy Matt Harvey Day. I I know Jeff has a, a, another one. I just want to mention you guys were talking about father and son, and you have a very good Father's Day episode that I want to point out that people should listen to. I, I really think people haven't listened yet to your podcast would benefit. And I, and I think that uh, thank you. they should. So uh, every episode I've listened to has been great, but Jeff, go ahead. And also, uh, and speaking of podcasts, and I'm sure I know the answer to this one, which is your favorite episode. And you're going to say, well, I love them all because they're all like my children, but do you have <laughs> a, a special one that you really, it stands out to you on, on all your episodes? 
Um, I think there's there's subject matter and delivery. I, I'm always surprised when I go back and listen to old episodes that I like them as much as I do because I don't normally like the sound of my voice or or in my own voice as most people don't. Uh, and and I I, I kind of like the fun ones. We're going to do another one of these because I listened to it recently. So it's our sixth episode, and the first is called Baseball Oddballs. And, and, and so we basically talked about, Gordon mentioned Bill Veck, uh, and, and we talked about players that, you know, Bill Lee, you know, and, 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 and that's kind of fun to talk about players that maybe people don't know as well that have an unusual baseball history that just isn't all about their playing career. Gordon, I don't know if you have one. I was going to say, I think it was one from, last, from season three. It was the Koufax versus uh, Kershaw debate that we did. I thought that one was just such an interesting episode because when we looking at the statistics, you know, I think I didn't quite appreciate how good Koufax was at his peak. And so that, that was sort of a fun, to, you know, it was a really fun one for me because we really got to get into Koufax's peak is basically untouchable. You know, I don't think there'll be anybody that ever puts up statistics like he did, but it's narrowed down to that like three or four, like that true three or four year peak that he had, where you look at a guy like Kershaw who put up unbelievable statistics for like a 10 to 12 year period and which one's more valuable to a team and oh man what if you had sandy koufax today and you didn't just decide yeah he could throw like 160 pitches every start i'm sure that won't have any ill effects on him down the line (laughs) i think i think pedro martinez might have had a that 99 season is (laughs) you know but a few years that compared i mean the I don't have stats in front of me, but I just remember uh, seeing that You're Pedro right. may have had right. a few at, years at, his, at his peak. He was as dominant, and in particular at a time where it was way harder to be dominant. Remember, Koufax was pitching, you know, during the period just before 1968, the year of the pitcher. So all that period leading up to that is why we lowered the mound in 1969 because guys like that were killing everybody. So you got a guy like Martinez doing it in '99 and '93. 2000 when everybody was hitting the ball a million miles and he still dominated in a way that was i saw pedro pitch a game at, at, at fenway park around that time and it was against the twins 12 strikeouts one hit and it was it was the most perfect boring baseball game you could ever go to because he just owned them. <laughs> you know we have a uh we have something in common uh you had an episode with gene Fruf and jeff idelson as as did we. So uh, that was uh, I saw that, and I, I'm I'm going to go back and listen to that. I haven't listened to that one yet, but uh, that was one of my favorite ones because you know, ex president of the Hall of Fame and, and a great photographer. Yeah, yeah. She's. Yeah. I I actually went out last summer to a book signing, the book that she wrote, and Jean was doing an appearance in New Jersey, and I went mm-hmm. and I met her and I talked to her for a few minutes, and she's just fantastic in, in a business that is not necessarily friendly towards women historically, uh, so she should get accolades even more than that for being able to navigate that for you know so many years and being one of the best in the business. And those books, you know, looking through that book, it's pretty impressive because every picture can just instantly make has a way of like evoking the sense of nostalgia for the game itself. Like, they, like it's so well done at capturing. Like, yeah, that's why I love baseball. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's a, yeah, that's a beautiful book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, guys, we can talk on forever. I mean, it, uh, and we're going to have you back because we can go on and Absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> but I wanted to give you the opportunity to please let us know your your Twitter handle or, or X, whatever it's called now. Uh, you have a website, <laughs> anything. Please let us know any social media that you have so people can contact you because they really have to listen to this great podcast of yours. 
Well, our podcast can be found at almostcooperstown.com. Um, Buzzsprout is our host right now, but you'll find it through that. And in any pod, if you type in Almost Cooperstown to any of other uh, platforms, you'll find We're on it. Spotify, Apple, iTunes. We're on YouTube. Uh, you can pretty much find us on any major podcasting or you know audio platform. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter because uh, we're still calling it Twitter at uh, Almost Cooperstown. <laughs> Almost Coop. Almost Coop. And, and, and Howie? Howie Mandel? Uh, you have any stamp dates that you're going to be doing? <laughs> no, no, I think I don't. I don't wear crazy hats. Remember when he wear the funny hats and he had no, this... the, the he put the he put the uh, surgical the glove. He he, like, it was the glove. He put the surgical uh, glove oh, and he would blow it up. That, I, 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 tell you, I, Len, I was not flattered. I, I, I'll just say that right now. <laughs> That's all I could think. And I have one last question before you let you go, Mark. You, you, you're Gordon's dad. I'm a dad to a baseball fan myself. How did you let your son become a Met fan? Because my son, my son went the other way and went a Yankee fan. So and he's a lot see, happier with his life. You see, you see my room with the Met stuff, his old Yankee stuff. And, and how could you let this curse, uh, uh, give that curse to Gordon? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, we talk about it all the time, um, uh, Jeff. And, and you know, so Gordon is, you know, the Mets, by the way, I said this recently, people questioned me. I said, the Mets have won one World Series in 52 years. Yeah. Which doesn't seem like that. Even if you're a Mets fan, is it really that bad? It's really that bad. 1969 was was over, over 52 years ago. So, I, you know, that, well, what about 86? Well, no, I'm just going to say, that's that's one. one World Series. What, what, that's what, the one. Doomed, what doomed me was one summer before years before I was born back in 1969 because unfortunately for me the Mets the Jets and the Knicks all won a championship that season and my 10-year-old father witnessed that he became fans forever so then he cursed me by making me a Mets a Jets a Knicks and an Islanders fan oh, I know ah. nothing but pain and misery across every major sport he has, I he has never, never watched a pro sports team as his win a championship in his life Oh, in, in uh, all the sports, Jets, hockey, you know, the, and it's not even like they've been good. They've every single one of those franchises has basically been like a dysfunctional mess so for my, most uh, of his, my life. His mom says, "So why don't you have a second team, like, <laughs> another another team that you'd root for?" I'm like, "What? I can't like, do it. Like, I've tried. I just can't do it. I've tried. I'm like, believe me, if I could, I would, but I can't. It's like he's infected me." Our, our oh. podcast tomorrow is coming out on the Toronto Blue Jays. So we do deep dives. Um, we're going to do all the 30 teams. And we're, I think we're on number 13 now because we try not to do them every, you know. Every, and so, you know, so I like the Blue Jays. You know why I like the Blue Jays? Because I'm a Met fan, right? They don't, the Orioles. I can't like the Orioles. They play in the World Series. I don't like the Red Sox. I don't like the Yankees. You know, I can't like the Saints. The Rays, ah, they're not even important enough for me to hate or like. I don't even you know, the, 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 like, like So, yeah, I like the Blue Jays because I can like them. They're, they're non-threatening. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, and it's a it's a pleasant bird. It's a blue jay. Exactly. It's, so it's like, oh, Vlad I like all their players. Like, oh yeah, I watched their dads play, and now I'm watching them play. That's cool. They have weird things with seagulls, you know, killing them and stuff. It's just a thing. <laughs> There's a hotel at the ballpark. It's all weird. Weird. It's, it's, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this has been a great hour. We're definitely going to have you back. Thank you for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Everybody, go listen to Almost Cooperstown. Great podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys very much. Been our pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed listening to the almost Cooperstown podcast. Yes. Almost, it's, as, it, almost as much as, as ours. <laughs> almost. Well, it is yeah. almost Cooperstown. So it's almost as much. 
No, they yes. they really have a great show. As I like to say, listen to ours first and then go to theirs next. That's okay. Exactly. Jeff, you mentioned something which you you don't usually do that. You you said right before we went to them and I have a rant. So unless you're editing that part out, <laughs> are you? No. Then okay. Then you said it. It's there. We waited the whole almost Cooperstown interview. I can't wait for it. So can can I give you the intro? Be my guest. Baseball rant. Well, Len, you know, it's been a couple of years since the Mets had Zach Whelan. He's now with the Phillies, and he's doing very well. He's been ever since he signed that contract with the Phillies, he's been doing very, very well. Cy Young contender every year. But you know what I've been noticing now? It's it's been a couple of years. Now he's pitching in the playoffs. I'm hearing on social media, uh, uh, even the, the actual media on TV. Oh, do the metric Brett's not signing Zach Wheel? Guess what? It was the Wilpons when they couldn't sign Zach Wheel. He was never going to sign with the Mets. Wilpons were never going to offer him a, a contract. It's just that simple. And people saying, oh, Brody Van Wagenen sucks. And I know you're trying to get Bro- Brody Van Wagenen on the show, but. It wasn't him. You know what? You can say all that stuff. It was the Wilpons. They were never going to sign. They already signed Jacob DeGrom. You think they were going to pay two high-priced pitchers? pitchers? I don't think so. And besides, I'm going to – I'm paraphrasing this. It was a book by Mike Puma came out last year, and he mentioned that Zach Wheeler in 2015, he couldn't pitch because of Tommy John surgery, and he wanted to support his teammates by attending the game. Now, he couldn't sit in the dugout because he wasn't in uniform, but he wanted to go to the game. Wilpon said, no, nah, we can't give you tickets, but we'll sell you some tickets. Well, he was never <laughs> going to sign back with the New York. Never going to happen. So, you know, can we just let it go already? Enough with Zach Wheeler and the Mets. He's gone. We wish him well, except when he pitches against the Mets. And, and that's it. Enough. Rant over. Well, you know what, Jeff? Maybe they were really good seats and, you know, there was high demand for them. I mean, whatever anyway good rant and you're right i yeah i believe that with the current regime there is no way zach wheeler went to philadelphia i think they would have signed him but so i understand what you're saying i i I don't disagree you know what i also don't disagree about is your feelings for baseballbbq.com grilling tools and accessories i know how you feel about them i feel the same way it's a great company, great grilling tools and accessories, baseball bat handles, cutting board shaped like home plate. Go to baseballbbq.com and you're not going to be sorry. It's going to be great. You're going to use it at all your barbecues. We highly recommend them. And if you're trying to reach a show, give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. We have an X, or we have a Twitter, at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, tell your friends, follow, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Yeah, please do it all. And Jeff, I think you have something else for us. It's time for the Baseball Quote of the Week. Hitting a baseball has absolutely nothing to do with being big or small, short or tall. 
That's Jose Altuve, who's only five foot six. Mm-hmm. What a player. He's really good. Okay, Jeff, our next guest. His name is Mike Starr. He's from a Blazing Star Barbecue. Everybody enjoy. Blazing Star BBQ is a sauce and seasoning company started by our guest. He is a 21-year U.S. Air Force veteran who has traveled the world. He has experienced unique cultures and foods and has brought them to our backyard. They use high-quality ingredients and are perfectly balanced with some bold flavors. As he says, Blazing Star is not a is not building a brand. They are building an experience. Based out of the great state of Nevada, please welcome Michael Starr to Baseball and BBQ. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Michael, you know, it's interesting. As I was preparing for this interview, and I know you are 21 years in the Air Force, and we thank you for your service. We've had on a lot of sauce and rub companies. It seems like a lot of them are former military. I don't know if that's just a coincidence or there's something to it. What do you think? I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, for me, you know, growing up in North Carolina, I grew up on salt, pepper, butter, and bacon grease. That's what (laughs) I tell people, right? But it wasn't until I joined the military that my uh, palate opened up and uh, I got to experience uh, so many different cultures and uh, different foods across the country, across the world. And uh, yeah, it just kind of gave me inspiration to do a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today. Well, you're serving all over the all over the globe. Barbecue might be more common, of course. American barbecue is here, but they're cooking over fire in all parts of the country, uh, all parts of the That's world. Correct. I should say. That's so, correct. Yeah. You know. So where were you? where you had something that wasn't similar to barbecue, but that was one of your favorite things that was cooked over uh, an open fire? I mean, really, I could just name examples all over, whether it be in Germany where I had Swankbrot for the first time frame, which is like a kind of like a pork steak uh, uh, grilled over a Schwanken grill or, you know, being in Japan or Korea having a, you know, various types of meat cooked over coals. Yeah, just so many different ones. And they all kind of touch me a little bit and kind of inspire me and, and a lot of my flavors today. What were you doing before you started a seasoning and source company? Were you, did you just come out of Air Force and you started or what was the no, origin uh, story? Uh, after I finished up in the Air Force, I was in a, I did a lot of satellite wideband communications. So a lot of telecommunications, pretty much a little bit of everything in the communications world. Uh, I got out actually me and my wife, I had a online business. I ran a military challenge coin company, started an Asian market with my wife, uh, did that for a little bit. And then I went back to work and, uh, in the telecommunications world, did that for five or six more years. Meanwhile, uh, you know, I was always barbecuing and grilling for friends and family, working on different seasonings and sauces just to kind of experiment at the house and invite guests over and get their reactions on what I cooked and experimented with. And then one time we had uh, right before COVID, February, January, February timeframe of 2020, 
we had some friends that we helped open multiple restaurants in Vegas reach out and ask me to help them again. And all those other restaurants were Filipino or Vietnamese style restaurants. This restaurant ended up being a barbecue restaurant, more on American style. I was kind of shocked by it. I did a, their normal stuff they asked me to do, security cameras, uh, stereos, uh, worked on their website, social media. But then they were like, hey, don't you make your own sauce and seasoning at home? I'm like, yeah, I do. They're like, well, uh, can we try your sauce? And I was like, sure, I'll bring one of my sauces in the next time I come by. I brought them in a jar of sauce. They tried it and they said, hey, we'd like to have this in our restaurant. And I was like, well, how's that work? They're like, you make it, we buy it from you. I was like, okay, sounds easy enough. So I started making sauce for them. Picked up pretty quickly. We were making about 20 gallons a week for them. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. You know, just like most of the country, Vegas shut down hard. And it really hurt them, you know, pretty bad. I had created the Blazing Star Barbecue logo at this time frame the social medias, but I did it mostly to support their restaurant to kind of help drive traffic to their restaurant. Uh, so when that shut down, I said, you know what? I've got enough traction already. Let's see what we can do with this. I started posting my sauce for sale online. Next thing you know, people reached out to me and said, Hey, how do I buy that? I'm like, that's a good question. Let me create a <laughs> website, you know, an online store. And then COVID Killed a lot of in, a lot of people in the industry, really hurt a lot of businesses in the industry, but it also helped businesses like mine thrive because people were at home cooking mm-hmm. and uh, looking to experiment. I think uh, they caught on to my unique flavors and uh, it was something different on the market and just kind of been, you know, gradually going up from there. So you have five different types of spices and what, three different types of sauces? That's correct. Mike, so you mentioned unique flavors. We've we've been doing this a long time. We've had a lot of rubs and sauce companies on and everyone seems to have something that they try to make them different. I've heard you talking about it. It seems like you, you go a little bit to the heat side. Is that what the unique flavor is? There's well, a little... I, I, it, I would definitely say that's my niche. Okay. Uh, the, the spicy side of the house. You know, I said earlier that I'm, I'm originally from North Carolina. Right. Uh, most sauces and seasonings that are on the market are more regional based. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they could tend to lean towards North Carolina, Kansas City, Texas, Memphis, so on. Right. Mine don't. Uh, they're more what I would consider multicultural, uh, just because they're very blend, literally multiple cultures, uh, a lot of Spanish and Asian influence in a lot of my products. Uh, but everything that I have has a little kick, right? And then some has a little more kick. As I go up in spice, though, I go up in flavor. And that's one thing I think. You know, there's a lot of products that are on the market that say spicy. All right. And they're either one or two things. Typically, Uh, they're either not really spicy and they have the flavor or they're just super spicy and there's no flavor in there. 
I like to think I've found that happy medium uh, in the middle where I've provided the right amount of sweetness, the right amount of heat to go along with some really good flavors. A lot of people talk about being able to literally just eat my products out of the bottle, chew it on my seasoning instead of just putting it on their meat. Of course, my response to that is good. If it doesn't taste good in your mouth, then it shouldn't taste good on your meat. So, <laughs> Did you do cooking in the Air Force? I mean, you, the thing is, I'm always amazed by the people that are able to take the different flavors and combine them. So you come out with something great. When did you realize that you had that ability? So, too, did you cook in the Air yeah, Force yeah. and that? So as far as cooking in the Air Force, my job, like I said, was satellite and wideband communications. Right. Which but is not cooking. That said, <laughs> yeah, not cooking at all. But I was always that guy on the grill. Uh, mm -hmm. If there was a, a shop party, a squadron event, something in base housing, I was always that guy that just was attracted to the grill. And after a while, it just eventually was known that, hey, Mike, what are you cooking next? You know, what are you cooking for us this weekend? Or what are you cooking for us at the squadron party or what have you? So it's just something I enjoy doing. It's nothing for me. It's like nothing better satisfying after cooking for a bunch of people and then just seeing their expressions on their face. You know, when they try whatever you cooked and you, you feel good that you're making other people happy at the same time frame. I've always been a foodie guy, so to speak. I really only watch two things on TV, and that's Food Network and sports. I'm a big sports guy, and I'm a big foodie, and they really kind of go hand in hand. There's nothing like uh, watching a baseball game or a football game and chowing down on some wings or nachos or ribs or what have you. you know? So you think there should be a podcast maybe – called baseball and barbecue where they yeah i do both I think so <laughs> that might be a good idea right <laughs> yeah i think they kind of go hand in hand <laughs> yes mike you mentioned your website before and i i, I do want to plug it it's uh, called blazingstarbbq.com and you can get all your products there uh, i did want to ask you though uh the website looks great i do i love the logo it pops but you're also uh, I looked on, on YouTube. You do, you have some fantastic uh, videos, which I've enjoyed watching. So you should, everybody should go awesome. to your YouTube, your YouTube channel as well. But I noticed that on a couple of them, you actually do barbecue reviews. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm trying to mix it up. I mean, I, I'm all on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or X, whatever it is now, <laughs> uh, TikTok, uh, of course, YouTube. YouTube, I try to mix it up a little more, you know, where I actually do some more longer form videos where I give tutorials, where product reviews. Uh, I work with a lot of companies now, you know, so I've got to use a little bit of every type of cooker you can think of on the market, you know, so I figure it's a great place for me to kind of help others out, uh, you know, in the industry. Uh, also. You know, on the business side of the house, I mean, I launched on Amazon, so I, my, my products are on Amazon, too. So I even do Amazon videos, you know, to kind of help other businesses that are looking to launch on Amazon. Because, hey, when I was trying to figure out how to get on Amazon, there wasn't a whole lot of options for videos. So I figured, 
you know what, once I figure it out, I'm going to make some videos to try to help others out too. You know, the one, the one product review that fascinated me was actually your most recent video, the Meadow Creek combo. I mean, it was a, a smoker, a griller, and a chicken and a chicken cooker. You had a, a, yeah, a type of thing. You, yeah, it's funny you uh, watched that video and mentioned that video in particular because I actually just used that. Got done done about an hour ago. I cooked uh, four whole chickens in the chicken cooker, so I actually used that chicken cooker option. So I'll be having a video that'll be coming out uh, maybe tomorrow. We'll see, uh, depending on if I get everything edited in time. But yeah. Uh, I like to showcase the various grills and cookers, and that's a company I'm working with now. And it's kind of the beauty of of this barbecue business. It's kind of given me the ability to work with other companies and have other companies that want to work with me to help promote each other, so to speak. Mike, you're a social media superstar. I mean, your your videos <laughs> get millions. I, I remember there was well, it was a Carl Sagan used to say millions and billions and you know (laughs) videos what's the secret because uh maybe we should hire you for the podcast i I mean yes your videos are very good but there are other videos but your videos are getting millions of views i appreciate it it's i'm still trying to figure it out trying to learn I, i network with a lot of other content creators across the country i go cooking with them and learn from them each and every day. I think the thing is to be consistent with it. You never know what's going to happen. I tell people your most viral video is the video that you don't post, meaning, you know, everything's content, post about it, and you never know. I've had videos that I thought would do really well, and they're a bust. And then I've thought videos that that might do 2,500 views, and they turn out to have 50 million views. You know, I had one video specifically that I literally thought maybe it would do 2,500 views and it, it did 50 million views on one platform and another 30 million on another platform. So what video is that? It was just me doing a steak competition. <laughs> really? Uh, it, it was literally a one minute video of me showcasing the process of my very first steak competition. Most of it had to do with hate, and that's you know that's what that comes with it, right? Yeah. Uh, instantly, you post something about a steak, and all of a sudden, everybody's Gordon Ramsay. You know, they want to tell you, <laughs> you know, how you should have cooked it. You know, so it, it comes with a territory, but good and bad uh, publicity, so to speak, always brings your views, right, one way or another. As long as it brings me some more uh, followers along the way, and then they turn out buy my products down the road, then mm-hmm. then it was worth all the hate. I haven't seen the video yet. I heard you talking about it. You you did a, a video. Now I would be very interested in seeing this, but you said it it didn't do a, as well as you thought it would. Is you cooking on an easy bake oven? I think that is the coolest thing. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. the easy bake oven has just a little light bulb in it. Yeah. Well, so the old one used to have just a light bulb in it. The newer one uh-huh. actually has similar to what you have in your normal oven. Really? Uh, yeah, but th- they protected the casing really well so <laughs> kids can't put their hands in there. Uh, I think they say it actually gets up to over 300 degrees. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> I tested that theory. I didn't actually uh, do a temperature on it, but I was able to cook. Uh, the first video I did with it, I did a, a ribeye steak on it. The next video, I think I did uh, a rib. Then I did some a chicken wing. And then I did a barbecue chicken pizza. And then finally, I did a brisket. And uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, I didn't do a whole brisket, but I took a whole brisket, <laughs> sliced a section out of the flat of the brisket and cooked it on there and took it all the way to 205 degrees and then made little slices with it and did like a little bend test like I would if, I, if it was a, a full brisket. Yeah, they didn't do as well as I thought they did, but there was a lot of people that loved it, but it just it just didn't catch the algorithm and go viral like I expected. <laughs> well, Jeff and I are going to a, a, a barbecue competition. Uh, not a comp. I guess it's a competition. Anyway, we, we had on someone. Uh, his name is Jimmy Carboni, and he does okay. all these food events in the uh, New York area. And I'm going to suggest to him, <laughs> say, Jimmy. <laughs> Let's do an easy bake oven fest and have everyone cooking <laughs> with the easy bakes. Yep. I think it's great. I really yeah, do. Yeah. Come up with the most creative dish you can cook on an easy bake oven. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you've been obviously all over the world, but what impressed me is you said that your your products are sold in, in Nevada, but also outside of Nevada, you actually went to a store in Missouri that was the first First store to carry your products outside of Nevada. And you actually went there, which is really impressed me. Yeah, Springfield, Missouri. Yep, that's correct. You went to uh, it was called a countryside BBQ Pro Shop. Yeah, that's correct. You've done your homework. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Bryce has really been a, a wonderful supporter of my brand since day one. And really he's one of those I tell people all the time if I could have 10 store owners like him. Uh, I'd be doing wonderful, you know, because he really knows how to showcase the products that he sells in his stores. He cooks, does samples with uh, the products. He has sample bottles of each product in his store. So he really gets it. He knows how to do it. And, you know, I've been looking to go do stuff out there and I happen to be in the area. So I knew I had to go stop by and uh, check out his new store because he had actually moved to a new store at that time frame. So. It was really cool to be able to do it. And hopefully I'll be able to do an event out that way before too long also. Do you also participate in competitions? Because I know you went out to Memphis in May, uh, I think the last one. Do you also uh, participate in in, in, uh, in competitions? So I do. I'm not, I'm not like a competition guy my, myself, per se. I consider myself a backyard you know, guy, backyard barbecue guy. But I do uh, the last three years, I've actually went to Memphis in May all three years, uh, uh, went to Kansas City to the American Royal several times. I'll be heading back here in a month, less than a month. Actually, I'll be heading up to Kansas City for the American Royal. So I, I have worked alongside and it's part of been a, a part of me building my brand. I've kind of been networking with a lot of the big people in the industry kind of rubbing elbows and learning from the best of them. Uh, so I could pick up little things along the way to help me grow my brand. And at the same time, it, it also shows the people that are following me that, Hey, he's out there in the ditches, so to speak, you know, I'm out there trying to do everything and immerse myself in the industry to learn as much as I can also. 
Mike, tell us about your recent, I believe this is recent. Well, let's just say a rub and tug. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that was uh, by far the coolest event I've ever been a part of. Uh, when I got the invite, I was like, okay, I'm making this happen no matter what. Once I got the details, company called W Sauce, who's a very up-and-coming sauce, Worcestershire sauce company that's up-and-coming. They uh, put together this event down in the Key West. They invited uh, 15 teams. They were three- to four-man teams, man or women. Basically, it was a fishing competition a lobster diving competition and a cooking competition all in one event. Uh, really, it was kind of a, a bucket list strip just to be fishing and lobster diving, you know, in Key West. But then you throw along cooking alongside uh, and doing this, you know, with some of the greats in the industry. It just kind of took it over the top. It was just an amazing event. So Meat Church, Matt Pittman from Meat Church, Cosmos mm-hmm. Q, Heath Riles Barbecue, Big Green Egg had a team, RC Ranch, Big American Wagyu Company out of Texas, Tom Park, Duroc. Yeah, there was just, I mean, so many different teams. Well, there was 15 teams, but yeah, right. a lot of them were all big in the industry and have been around. And some of them are literally like pioneers of it. So for me to get the invite, it was obviously a big honor. I was going to make sure that I didn't miss it. And man, I didn't regret it. We got to, we got to cook lobsters on a sandbar, 15, 20 miles off of Key West, you know, out in the middle of the ocean. And let me tell you, just to imagine just pulling up, you know, up to the sandbar and there's boats already on the sandbar and canopies set up and grills out on the sandbar with water halfway up. You know, and and being able to cook lobster that you just caught literally diving. Unbelievable experience. Oh, yeah. I was just I was going to ask you about the water, the big green egg being in the water. I mean, that looked great. Yeah, Yeah, when they first set it up, literally the water was at the base of the feet. But by the time we packed up four hours or so later, the water was literally almost up to the the base of the grill. That's it, a good commercial. It's a good yeah, yeah. commercial for Big Green Egg, right? <laughs> you can, yep. could die for lobster, cook it, get have it swamped, and it'll still make a brisket the next right? day. <laughs> no <Big> doubt. Egg. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned sports, and uh, I know where you're from uh, is is uh, NASCAR country, but... Uh, yep, big NASCAR. Yeah. So, but I really want to ask you, about baseball and are you a fan and uh what team do you root for and you know let's let's make this the baseball and barbecue interview yeah so i actually grew up playing baseball you know little league all the way up Mm -hmm. to high school and uh, i was actually a pitcher shortstop and third baseman uh in high school and then before i joined the military i was a little guy back then they used to call me like a half pint you know, they put a one half for my number, but, uh, I, you know, in, in North Carolina, obviously we didn't have our own, uh, like major league baseball team. We had, right. a, you know, of course the Carolina league and a lot of minor league teams out there. Actually the Hickory Crawdads were, I'm from Hickory, North Carolina. Hickory Crawdads was the team 
the minor league team there, but I was a big Atlanta Braves fan. Yeah. I grew up a Braves fan and uh, listened to everybody. I mean, I'm a, uh, I used to come home from school and, you know, and watch WGN, uh, home team sports, you know, so I caught the Cubs games, White Sox games, Orioles games, Braves games all the time. I mean, you know, Harry Carey, I'm a Cubs fan and a Bud <laughs> fan. You know, baseball was definitely, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite, you know, sports growing up. And uh, like I said, been a diehard Braves fan since a kid, though. Okay, we'll forgive you for that. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had Turl, uh, what, Turl Dunlap, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's a big uh, Braves fan. Yeah. Also. And he, he, he gives us, you know, good natured, but he loves to rib us. Oh, because we are Met fans. You guys have our number. Actually, everyone has our number. But um, right, <laughs> I mean, our number's posted in a bathroom stall. Everyone's got it. But right, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So he gives us a hard time. But uh, so thank you for being kind. And you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Terrell, he he's a, a Bears fan too, Chicago Bears. So it's weird. He's Chicago Bears and a. Atlanta Braves, yeah. and he grew up in New Mexico. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, come back to barbecue. What kind of grills do you have in, in your backyard? A little bit of everything. I have open fire grills. I actually have a grill that was custom made in Argentina. Uh, I kind of got introduced that to from one of my good friends, Al Fragoni, who's from, out, from Argentina. Uh, he kind of introduced the open fire cooking to me i have you know offset smokers drum smokers weber kettles pellet grills they have a little bit of mixture of everything i have a big commercial smoker an old hickory pit that's on my big barbecue trailer for if i need to do you know big catering events or or what have you so just a, a, a kind of a wide range you know looking on your facebook page and i'm gonna throw out a challenge to leonard here you are you are smoking king crab legs on a on a Traeger. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to challenge Leonard to smoke some king crab legs on a Traeger. So the the gauntlet has been thrown down to you, Leonard. Okay, there and I accept, well, I will accept your challenge, but I have a challenge. You need Uh-oh. to tell me the because I know the answer. But Mike, there is a food that Mike has eaten. Okay, it's a meat. And it is exotic, and it's it's a it's a meat you will never guess that he ate unless you did your research really well, Jeff. <laughs> me the exotic meat that we're going to ask Mike to discuss. Well, that would be the alligator. No, it would actually this for most the alligator might be, but Mike, you know what I'm going to ask you about, right? I think I got an idea. I think I got an idea. Yeah. Jeff, you're not going to guess, so we'll go right to Mike. Well, but I, I, I know the the crab legs for you, Mike. What what's that animal that uh, is pretty exotic that you had? I think you're referring to the cougar I recently cooked up in Oregon. Wow, that is it. <laughs> Tell us about that. That was wild. I mean, not only did it look wild, it was uh, an absolutely wild cook, especially the first one that we did. We actually, for that event, we cooked over a two and a half day period. We cooked three cougars, four bighorn sheep, 
four alligators, four pigs, and one whole steer. But by far, the cougar was the wildest cook of, of the event. The thing was built like a linebacker, especially the first one. I mean, the muscles on this cougar was unbelievable. Like you knew when I was breaking that cougar down, getting it prepped to cook, like you knew why this this cougar was able to take down herds of cattle because of how how this thing was built. And then the the head on it, it looked not only it looked like cross between like demonic and an alien. So uh, it was absolutely wild. The first one that we cooked, it was a little gamey, uh, but it was it tasted really good. It, it was kind of more similar to a, a pig, uh, uh, the breakdown of it, uh, a lot of the cook on it. If I was to really, truly want to cook one in the future, which I do, I want to smoke one because I really think I can render it down nicely and and get rid of a lot of the gaminess of it. So, yeah, it was a wild cook. Did you use your seasonings on this cougar? Oh, yeah. <laughs> which which one? All in one. Yeah. Okay. It's a sugar-free, so anytime I'm doing gotcha. open fire, if I'm doing any kind of open fire, that's what I like to use. How did you know, like, uh, well, I, you said it tasted more like pig, but I was going to say, does it, does it taste like chicken? Because everything seems to taste like yeah, chicken. Yeah, everything but... <laughs> seems to taste like chicken. When I say it, it's it's more of the texture and the breakdown of the parts. So uh, if I was to compare it to another animal, it has tenderloins, mm-hmm. uh, just like you have in a pig. I mean, most animals have like a backstrap or a tenderloin or something like that, but its tenderloin was closer to a tenderloin of an actual pig, except just very muscular. So in the shoulder area, in the arm area, it really needs to be broken down. So cooking it over open fire, although it was very cool looking, probably ideal cook on it would be to smoke it mm-hmm. low and slow and, and really allow some of the, the, the muscles and tissues to break down, you know, for the cook. Jeff, you had rattlesnake was the most exotic thing you made? Yeah. Yes. That's nice. Pretty- yep. I cooked a rattlesnake about two years ago down in Texas. Yeah. Actually, I think uh, we'll be cooking some next month at the end of Texas. We got a big event down at a ranch outside of San Antonio, Texas. What's so, the best way to cook a rattlesnake? When it's dead. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> definitely when it's dead. Uh, honestly, you really want to boil it down. I mean, you can grill it or smoke it, but I would braise it or to really break it down. It's very bony. It's a very bony animal. I did not realize how bony it was. It's it's actually bonier than a lot of fish. So, so you could fillet it before you cook it. Yes, for sure. We <laughs> cooked it whole over open fire, and then we <laughs> actually put it in a a pan and kind of seared it off with some bourbon, just for more of a more of an effect than anything. <laughs> now, what do you sell more of, your rubs or your sauces? Seasonings, uh, even though we're sold out on a lot of our sauces on the website, that's because we just run into some distribution issues moving to a larger co-packer. But our seasonings are, are definitely, that's something I learned. I started with the sauces with the company and things were doing really well with the sauces. And then that's when I decided to come out with the seasonings and the seasonings just took off. And really they haven't 
turned back. I mean, the seasonings have been really the staple, especially my Reaper and Scorpion. They're, I have a blazing bundle that I sell, and that blazing bundle is really the big hit, both the Reaper and the Scorpion. I was going to you ask you about the Reaper and the Scorpion. Yeah, yeah. Reaper and that Scorpion. Be, <laughs> that must be <laughs> very, mild, uh, spicy, <laughs> very spicy. Which probably my my wife would. It's it's really not. I, we actually came out with a shirt. So it's a funny story. When I came out with the Reaper rub, I came out with the Reaper rub first. No one would buy it. Literally, like you know, my sales on my other seasonings were really well. And I decided to come out with a Reaper rub. I said, I think it's time for me to come out with it. And uh, that first month, I bet you I got, I sold like three bottles. I was like, what's going on here? This is a mistake. And then one person posted a video about it. And it was a beautiful chicken, whole chicken. And the lady uh, has a big following. She goes, she started out the video with a picture of that that chicken and said, this is the best chicken I've ever cooked in my life. Sales started coming in. People started figuring out that the Reaper rub was not insanely hot. I didn't develop it, develop it to be a one chip challenge or something to burn your face off. Right. I was looking for that perfect balance. And I think I nailed it. Actually, we had pepperheads wanting more heat, you know, from it. And that's actually why I developed the scorpion rub. So even though the Reaper pepper is slightly hotter than the scorpion pepper in general, our scorpion rub is actually hotter than our Reaper rub, uh, but we uh, added even more intense flavors to kind of really make it. And your seasonings are all uh, no MSG and all gluten free, which is uh, yeah, that's correct. For, yep. And uh, what I like about it, and it, it, and thank you again for your service. It all says veteran owned, veteran made on, on the on a bottle, which is very important. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yep. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about. I've noticed on your videos you have a saying. Oh ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, you have a shirt that oh, says yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so tell us the origin of, of where you came up with that. I mean, that's very unique to you. Yeah. So more so on TikTok. When I first started on TikTok, uh, what you'll notice is a lot of the creators there typically have some kind of catchy saying or phrase or something that really just sticks, right? And I think that was mine. I said it a couple times in my video. And the next thing you know, people in my comment section were started saying, oh, yeah, you know, in my comment section. So I just kind of, it just kind of like, oh, I, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be saying on a regular basis. And then it just, you know, obviously became natural and you know, it's what I'm known for. You know, they always, matter of fact, if I was not to say, oh, yeah, at the end of my video, people, would, and I have done that before, and people were like, what, was it, was it not good? What's the deal? You didn't say, oh, yeah, you know, so. When I saw you do that, I it reminded me of the, like, the Kool-Aid commercial, you know, with Kool-Aid. I get that. Kool-Aid. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Some people will, uh, now you can put like gifts, little gifts, you know, in, in comment sections and they'll do the Kool-Aid man gif where he's busting through the wall. Right. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Actually, I've been looking for the Kool-Aid man outfit, like for Halloween to do that one year, just to do it. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's great to have a a, a signature uh, uh, line. It's very distinctive. And absolutely, uh, yes, yeah. And I I saw one video. You didn't do it. Another guy did it, and he pointed to you, and he went, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." It's pretty Mike. much when we're out in the groups. I, I get that a lot. People are always doing that. <laughs> Well, Michael, we, we thank you for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Again, please let, let us know where people can reach you. you I know you have a, uh, t- like I said, TikTok and, and YouTube. So please tell us everybody where they can get, get in touch with you. Well, first, I, got, I can't thank you all enough for allowing me to be on your show. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been an absolute honor. Uh, you can purchase all of our products at blazingstarbbq.com, also on amazon.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms at Blazing Star BBQ. Thank you very much, Michael. And it's been an honor meeting you. And again, thank you for all you've done for our country. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Leonard, nice guy, isn't he? And we thank him for his service to to our country. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Make sure that everybody goes to his website. Jeff, what is his website? BlazingStarBBQ.com. Go there. I think you're going to like what you say. Jeff, did you know that we are brought to you by Bet Online? It's where the game starts, but we're not starting. I know. We're ending. We gave a lot of show, Jeff, a lot of show with to thank Almost Cooperstown, the Almost Cooperstown podcast, Gordon Mark Collier. Mike Star, Blazing Star Barbecue, Jeff, your rant, your quote from Jose Altuve, what a player he is. And let's just go out with the song. And you well, know before I, before we do that, Leonard, Leonard, I couldn't do this without you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I couldn't do this without you either. <laughs> All right. Can we go out now with the song? Yes, we can. It's the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician. Dave Dresser, and it is Baseball Always Brings You Home. See you next week.